1: We have officially been doing One Hit Thunder for over 50 episodes, so it only made sense to ask the host, Chris Vefalios, to pick a song. From day one, Chris has stressed time and time again that In a Big Country by the band Big Country is the best one-hit wonder of all time. And while researching this, we both became big fans of the band and their lead vocalist, Stuart Adamson. So join us while we tell you how Big Country has and will always bring the one hit thunder I've never singular like without
0: a reason. Another promise fallen through another season passes by you.
1: One hit is all you need money guaranteed and you can live off royalties
0: forever and it makes me wonder is it just a wonder or is it one hit thunder
1: so chris we got to episode 50 here we are and i said for episode 50 you need to be the guest and There was no hesitation. I kind of knew this was what you were going to pick. So I'm not going to ask necessarily why you picked Big Country, because anybody who's been on the Facebook page knows that you ride so hard for this song. So my question is, what is it about this song that makes you
0: ride so hard for it? I'll tell you exactly what it is. It is in the past year or two, or actually, it might have been since we started the podcast. I was looking into everything that people were posting, suggesting for songs to cover on the podcast, which all got added into a giant playlist, which we made. We have a one-hit thunder Spotify playlist. It's also on Apple Music, but it's like over 300 songs. And then one day when I was bored, this is a very Matt Kelly thing to do. (laughs) Maybe you would do something even more extreme. You probably would have sorted this list in some other way. But there'd be categories. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But I sorted the list just by going one at a time with the songs and being like, okay, I like this song better than that song. I like this song better than that song. And I ended up putting in a big country by big country as the number one song in the entire list. And the reason I did that is because when I was watching music videos, as people were posting them in our Facebook group and things like that, I came across this performance of in a big country. That was from ITV from a show called the tube that aired on February 17th, 1984, which is actually my dad's 29th birthday. So my dad turned 29 this day and they aired this big country live performance and this performance made me absolutely love this song. First of all, for being like a TV performance, it's it's in front of a live crowd. It is live. It is not some lip-synced fake yeah, thing. It's not it
1: like what the BBC used to do all the time, like n- the tops of pops, where it'd be no. like, yeah, just sit there, pretending you're playing the instruments and move your mouth.
0: No, it's a live performance. The guys are so sweaty. Yeah. And the audience is having fun. At one point, two guys in the crowd jump up on stage and start dancing on the stage. And the performance, I think, is flawless. And I'm watching this, and I love the bass player, uh, Tony Butler, who has the best moves, and he's having the best time. And he also has sick bass lines. And I'm just watching this, and I'm not saying this from perspective of these guys are so good. They remind me of my band. But the performance and how sweaty they were and how much they were enjoying it and how I felt like it was like a real thing it reminded me of my own band in that I don't think we've ever gone on stage and tried to like play it off like we're some super cool (laughs) guys or have some sort of crazy image about ourselves or whatever but I always feel like we're putting our heart into it up there when I watch these guys I'm like wow this band reminds me of Punchline. <laughs> if we <laughs> if we would have existed in the 80s, this is what I would have wanted to sound like. This is what I think our live performances would have been like. And it just it endeared them to me so much because they reminded me of us in a way. So Punchline is going to be covering in a big country well, in 2021? I would I would cover this song in a second. I mean, and <laughs> just talking about the song, which yeah, the song doesn't sound like Punchline, but the 80s were a time where they could have easily gone very synth. Yeah. You know, and and this song just rocks. It's a great song. It, and I don't know
1: how you... Did you first discover the song just from someone posting it in the group? Or were you aware of it from... Because I found it through Rock Band 2 was my introduction to this song.
0: Right. Uh, No, I knew the song. It's just that revisiting it, probably because of this, made me realize how good it is. Yeah. And especially Stuart Adamson's voice... It just sounds like the 80s. Yeah. No,
1: he, I, I think that that's a, a really good assessment yeah, <laughs> of that. Yeah, in, in a very good way. <laughs> I mean that in the best way possible. In preparing for this, did you dive deeper into like big country as a band? Or I guess the question is, are you a big country fan or are you a, in a big country
0: fan? <laughs> there are a lot of bands and artists that I would probably like and I just haven't had the time yet to dig in and i love this song and as i dug in deeper i realized yeah i like this song i like this song yeah and as it went on i liked it more more and more and especially stuart adamson's vocals and the guitars are so cool they used, and I, I looked this up, to make their guitars be reminiscent of bagpipes, they used what, what an, an MXR pitch transposer, 129 gu- guitar effect that is very recognizable. And yeah, it sounds like bagpipes. It's not bag, bagpipes, it's guitars. <laughs> so from someone like me who doesn't really know anything about music,
1: are you familiar with what that particular... Tool is
0: no, no, not not necessarily, okay. but I mean, in general, I know what type of effect it is. Yeah. Okay.
1: I was just I was like, is this like a normal way for someone to use that effect? Are they taking that effect and doing something really unique with? I think what it, they can? I think
0: they did something pretty unique with it. I don't know anyone else that was using that tone that sounded like bagpipes at the time. They also used and punchline has used this i know we i first learned what one was when we were recording action because we used it on it but an ebo they they use the ebo a lot for anyone who doesn't know you can look it up it's e dash b-o-w and you use it basically in place of a pick instead of strumming the strings it's like a i don't even know exactly how it works it's pretty cool technology actually but it's like a light that, that you, you you shine the strings and it creates a sort of pretty slidey haunting type sound. So, you know, big country uses that on a lot of their songs. If you're familiar with my band and in punchline, we use it on the album action between the fifth and sixth tracks on the album, there's like a transition part okay where it switches between the songs and an ebo is used on there and it's very haunting, high pitched, slidey sound. It's really pretty sounding thing when you use an ebo. That's <laughs> basically s- what I'm getting at.
1: So when you say ebo to me, I mean I saw that that factoid when I was looking, but like I never thought that it would be something involving lights. Um my thought process on that was that you know I've seen bands where they literally play with like a
0: bow. Like, That's like, the idea, I guess, yeah. is that it's an electronic bow. And so when you do it, there's like a red light shining on. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know how the technology works. I don't know if it's hitting the pickups. Someone like, I bet you someone like having Paul on here for this would, would know a little bit about how the technology works. And I didn't get too far into that. But it's just one of the things, one of the unique things that big country used in their songs and their style that kind of set them apart in, in a world where, you know, everyone was using, using synths and and you 80s, could have a whole
1: band that's just a guy with his keyboard, right. and essentially, it, and they're up there really rocking people's faces right. off.
0: Right. And in 80s production... I mean, we can take a second to,
1: while you we were talking about that, we can look at, like, what was actually going on yeah. at the time that this song was on the radio, because I think that that shines a light on how uniquely different sure. this song was. So, at the time it peaked at 17 on the Billboard Hot 100. It was in December of 1983. All Also, on that chart at the time, we had Come On, Feel the Noise by Quiet Riot. Okay. Owner of a Lonely Heart by Yes. Love is a Battlefield by Pat Pat Benatar. Uptown Girl by Billy Joel. All Night Long by Lionel Richie. And the number one song was Say, Say, Say by Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. Which those are all... I'm not going to say any of those are bad songs. But with the exception of maybe Pat Benatar, and even that's like more of a synthy Pat Benatar song. They're either... Very easy listening sound or with like, come on, feel the noise. It's like an in your face rock song, but this is like a weird merging of like a rock
0: song with that weird synthy element laced into it. When you read me that list, I was getting ready for you to say Human League and people like that. Not that I don't love Human League, but I was getting ready for you to name a bunch of synth heavy 80s over the top cheesy pop songs. And instead it was a lot of rock based
1: songs Sounds, but it, so, well let's look at what was the best of that whole year so when we look at the best of that whole year the five best-selling singles that year was every breath you take by the police okay which is a good jam let's dance by david bowie mm-hmm. which is a great song but definitely a very overproduced synthy drum beat type song flash dance what a feeling okay michael jackson's billy jean Okay, And the most shocking thing to me on this is that Michael Jackson's Billie Jean was only the second best-selling single of this year because the number one best-selling single was Culture Club's Karma Chameleon. Wow.
0: <laughs> that's su- Wow, that's surprising the, that that beat out Michael Jackson. The but- only thing
1: I can think of is that the Wikipedia charts take into effect the sales globally versus just nationally. So I think Michael Jackson probably sold huge in America and probably in the UK a little bit, but I could see Culture Club just being a band that had like a number one, that song being a number one hit in like any country that it's in. <laughs> right. Because it's got that chorus. True.
0: But still in its uh, most basic form, it is a rock song. So that's, you know, that it makes sense to me that that Big Country would hit it that time. Then it, it, it kind of did fit into what was going on because it's not... I don't know when you read me that list, I I see the the similarities and how this Big Country song fits in. There. Yeah, it's not that I'm reading like Whip It by Devo, followed yeah. by like you said
1: Human League, followed by like yeah. Flock of Seagulls, where it's just right. like right two dudes with keyboards just killing it.
0: Very very rock based. So when I look at Big Country and I I did my research on them and they are one of those bands that I don't know about, and probably a lot of people don't know a lot about, maybe other than this song, they are actually a very well-respected and influential band with a large catalog of music. And they had one hit, one song that was considered a hit. But to people that followed them, they wouldn't consider them a one-hit wonder, especially depending on where you live. I was going to say, especially if it's... The the difference is if you're
1: a listener in the UK, this is a band where three of their four albums topped the top 40 album charts in the UK. Like, they were pretty well-respected in the UK, but the other thing is that they were kind of a spinoff of another popular band... The skids, the right? skid, yeah. yeah. I don't know the skid. I don't know the skid either, but apparently they were also fairly popular right. in the UK. The skid is the one that had three out of their four albums topped the top forty in the UK. So they were bouncing off of a pop, being in a popular band, right? And then this was like, is it the skid or the skids? It just says skids, no the. Oh oh wow. Well i'm sure they were the kids, (laughs) but that so like when that band broke up and big country formed out of it it was pretty much like an instantaneous success it's one of those things where like we've seen it happen with all of the different plus 44 you know got or angels and airways got a really big leg up on getting started because it's the guys from blink 182 right or foo fighters (laughs) yeah like foo yeah Yeah. foo fighters is a even more accurate example because i think in this case, similarly to to Big Country and Skids, Foo Fighters, I think, are a bigger band than Nirvana now. In like a, hmm. in a weird way,
0: that's a hot take. It's a, I, I'm not going <laughs> to say that they're,
1: they're both, yeah, they're but they're massive. I think it's weird in general for someone to leave. What is arguably the most important band of the 90s and form another band that is one of the most
0: important bands of the 90s. true. <laughs> like, true. yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. Like, yeah. you know, so big country, you know, over the course of their career released eight albums. and their biggest album, and I didn't see if he worked on other albums. I'm gonna assume he did he did, but was produced by Steve Lillywhite, who is responsible for the first three u two albums, really an iconic producer worked on Susie and the Banshees. I I don't know. His list is pretty large of people he worked on, but always these big epic recordings, very emotional sounding recordings, uh, for lack of a better way for me to put it, is how I would describe it. He's just an amazing producer. And that made sense when I saw that. I was like, oh yeah, it makes sense that the guy who produced U Two produced this. <laughs>
1: well, and I feel like when you're naming that stuff, so so like the Banshees and those first two U two albums those first three U two albums, and then Big Country is it feels like a lot of his work was like production work that maybe wasn't as appreciated in the moment that they were coming out as they were after the fact because like U Two didn't blow up until like their I think their third or fourth album when they did Joshua Tree. But now people look back and they're like, oh my God, the work on Boy and
0: War are just amazing. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't do my research on U2. I don't even know what the first three U2 albums are, to be be honest. I just know Joshua Tree is the fourth one. Oh, okay. Well, what I started reading about Stuart Adamson was the really very interesting things, how beloved and respected this guy was as a songwriter. I saw articles saying that this guy was like the greatest songwriter of the past 50 years. I saw some bold statements on Stuart Adamson, a guy that we are calling a one-hit wonder. And rightfully so in our world, he has one hit that we know, but this guy is beloved. And when we'll get to it, I actually want to go through the lyrics of this song because they're pretty amazing. I look at these And before we, you know, there's not a very happy ending to Stuart Adamson, which we will unfortunately have to get into. But even looking at this song, I saw that Big Country is described as, and I think they were self-described. I think Stuart Adamson said this about themselves, that they're folk music with loud guitars. And it's accurate. (laughs) And a lot of their lyrics are about like hills and mountains and wind and things like that and metaphors about life that compared to like rolling hills and, and make you think of nature and things like that. And it's pretty beautiful and it kind of makes sense to even the name of the band and the name of the song in a big country. And when I look at these lyrics, I'm like, damn, these are, these are some of the greatest
1: lyrics. Uh, the first line I'm looking at them right now. The first line even is, is such a good
0: relatable lyric. Yeah. I've never seen you look like this without a reason. Another promise fallen through, another season passes by you. I never took the smile away from anybody's face, and that's a desperate way to look for someone who is still a child. In a big country, dreams stay with you like a lover's voice from the mountainside. Stay alive. Here we go. I thought that pain and truth were things that really mattered, but you can't stay here with every single hope that you had shattered. I'm not expecting to grow flowers in a desert, but I can live and breathe and see the sun in wintertime. And I didn't even pick up on how good these lyrics were. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, they're really good. And when when he's singing them, the melody is so good because there is this melodic thing about this song that I think is so unique. It's that some of these lines seem to go longer than they're supposed to. Yeah. And what I mean by that is... I think even the first line kind of has that vibe. I've never seen it. you look like this without a reason. Another promise falling through another season passes by you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the, the chorus of it, the chorus of the song even seems to be like this run on chorus where any other songwriter would have stopped or yeah. put a break in it, but it's, in a big country dream, stay with you Like a lover's voice fires a mountainside It just—it feels like a run-on sentence almost
1: We talked and- about this a lot During like the session of recordings we've done But this is another one where If you gave me this and said This is just a poem right? I would read it and be like, yeah, totally Another day is here, and you're ready for it What to wear?
0: Check Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check Planning for what's next and how to say for it?
1: No necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Like right. this is absolutely a poem structure. Yeah. It reads beautifully. It sings beautifully. And, you know, oh, to, you know, the, the chorus comes in and I, I just got to, I, I want to read these because they're so good. So, so the, the last verse of this is, so take that look out of here. It doesn't fit you because it's happened. Doesn't mean you've been discarded. Pull up your head off the floor, come up screaming, cry out for everything you ever might have wanted. I thought that pain and truth were things that really mattered, but you can't stay here with every single hope that you had shattered. I'm not expecting to grow flowers in a desert, but I can live and breathe and see the sun in wintertime. And I just think these are so good. They like give me chills just reading them, let alone when they're sung by this guy with what I think is like a beautiful voice and the melodies are awesome and the music is. Just makes me feel so good. And I know from, like I said, I watched that video of them playing it live that I loved. From everything I've read about this guy, he had his problems, he had his demons, but he was a sweet and sensitive guy. (laughs) Well, it's so I think that,
1: especially like listening to those lyrics and knowing you and knowing your band, you know, I think Punchline likes to lean into something that's kind of similar with that song, where there's... An element of subtlety there's an element of imagery being utilized but you can with with like first glance of lyrics get a pretty rough idea of what the story is but it's never like you know it's not telling a narrative story where it's like i know that that guy hurt you but it's okay like it's like this could be anything it's a song just about struggling through a really bad time it doesn't have to necessarily be a specific bad time comparison i think of a song like darkest dark or green hills by you guys on your newest album where there's a lot of like those songs aren't about a very specific thing but it makes it relatable no matter what the experience is you're like green hills is a great example because you know, you're talking about John F. Kennedy and, and all this stuff, but then you get to that nothing's ever gonna work out quite the way you think it's gonna work out. And I, I like thinking about that and then comparing it to something like Big Country, where it's using a lot of that it's using descriptions of the big country and seeing the sunset in the wintertime as an influential, like, hey, you might be really low right now, but it's gonna be okay. Like right, get right. get off the floor, you got this.
0: Yeah, and I don't mean to be Comparing it to my band, the only reason I that I brought that up is just because if we're talking about a song and why I picked it is and why I relate to it and resonate with no, it. I think that that's that totally like makes sense. A big thing in in my personal life, and I don't expect anyone else to to view it that way or think about it that way. But for me, when I I, I relate to this. Musically, and when I dove in more and more, I don't think that our band has any of that, like, necessarily folk influence or like Scottish influence that this band has. Well, yeah, because <laughs> like, this is another
1: one of our many, many growing list of Scottish one hit wonders. Dude, and
0: you know what else is crazy? <laughs> that they have a song that's called Fields of Fire. This song's great, by the way. Fields of Fire, parentheses, 400 miles. And the Proclaimers <laughs> have. I'm going to be, parentheses 500 miles. And these Scottish bands love They love songs. Counting Miles. Yeah, <laughs> Counting Miles and put it in parentheses in their song titles. But but I think Big Country did it before the Proclaimers. So maybe the Proclaimers were Big Country fans. Yeah, I mean, I I'm I'm sure would imagine were. that
1: they probably were. I, 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 don't, I would put money on that. I would bet that at a time, big because we talk about this stuff all the time, right? Like, at a time... It's possible that Big Country was the biggest Scottish band that was happening where the Proclaimers were. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't mean that they were the biggest band in the world, but like, similarly to how, like, we're in Pittsburgh. Right. And for you, it's like, yeah, Rusted Roots, like, one of the biggest bands yeah. that's ever come out of Pittsburgh. And most people are like, that band that had a song in Matilda. Right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, no, uh, it's that band that played Woodstock 94. <laughs> yeah, like, right, right.
0: Yeah. So when I looked deeper into Stuart Ab- Adamson and, his sort of uh, downfall towards the end. I kind of put together and I mean, it could be coincidence or not, but it kind of seemed like he didn't handle the declining success of his band. Well,
1: I, I think the same thing. I feel like there's certain people where there is like this one thing that is like their life force that is keeping them going. And when that is extinguished, there's just like nothing for them essentially. And I I feel like he was one of those people that loved doing this band. And I think when this band disbanded all like whatever being in that band kept the demons away from him. Like Mm -hmm. that light went out and it was just like, he did not, I, I don't think it's a lack of success. I think it was just the band broke up and he found no hope in anything after that. Sports is a big one when like a specific player or anybody like can no longer do the thing that they are like clearly destined to do. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: There, there's like a, a moment where they kind of lose right. that drive. And I don't know if you read about this. This was pretty crazy. I think it was 1999 that big country had released a new album. And I, in their later sound, they got pretty like country, like actual yeah. country ish, you know, Adamson later in his life moved to Nashville, uh, married a hairdresser from Nashville, But their last album, which I believe was released in 1999, it was set up to be a success. I think they had some momentum going and they had high hopes for it. And some technicality about the packaging of their album. And what I read was it was one too many like folds in like the compact disc thing. They called it like a pizza box style CD package. Something about it caused the record sales to not be accurate. And at its debut, it only hit like number 67 or something, but on a technicality. And because of that, it didn't get like a fair shot. And I think that people like wrote it off. That This is from the that's, article I read. That's crazy. It's a pretty wild. But from what I read, that was like that destroyed Stuart adamson that this thing happened and you guys can read into it more or matt you can you can read into it and see what you think about that it sounds like a wild but i've heard wilder things than that basically it sounds like maybe this album was supposed to be in the top 40 and if the correct numbers would have been there it would have been and then and then the momentum of that being in the top 40 may have Allowed it to be played on the Continue radio. To grow. Yeah, yeah. It continued to grow, but some bump in the road, some stupid bump in the road, caused that not to happen, and had like a domino effect. And I don't think the album was successful. That
1: that's also like that's right around that time where people were doing really fucking shady things for record sales, like you know the Prince story. Not to to throw shade at Prince, but the Musicology story. I think this was like 1999 when this happened.
0: Uh, for as big of a Prince fan as I am, I, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure what star you're talking about. He So there was, there was concern
1: that Musicology was not going to be the number one record in America when it came out. Mm-hmm. So he went on the Musicology tour, and every ticket purchase got a free copy of the album right. Musicology. And they counted the full ticket price as the money made from every album sale. So that it would like have this crazy high. Wow amount of like oh yeah the musicology cd made this much money but it was people buying tickets to see prince and just getting a free cd in the mail for their ticket
0: purchase wow they they let him get away
1: (laughs) they let him (laughs) get away with that i mean he's prince who's gonna tell him yeah yeah (laughs) i guess yeah but but
0: gaming the system is always pretty lame
1: yeah and but then the reverse is like bullshit like it's it's like oh sorry this cd has only four folds in it and without FUT we're only gonna Counted as I think like it was three one. Or I think something. it was
0: one extra one. That's was like, so weird. Maybe it made it. Maybe I, I, once again, I don't know, but maybe it made it too thick to the point where it was like a a. Now it was considered a deluxe package instead of a. I actually wonder. Here's here's my guess without doing any research.
1: If it was one fold too many, and maybe it made it too bulky. Maybe the problem was amount of units being able to be shipped. Places like dropped dramatically, so there was just not an availability for the record for places, possibly, yeah. Well, or like they couldn't put more than
0: like three or four on a shelf, as possibly. opposed to like loading up the shelves with copies. I mean, possibly, yeah. I mean, it could be something like that. It's something along the lines of. Not based on the music, yeah, is what we're getting Just a really at.
1: dumb, shitty way for yeah. this to play out. Yeah. We did, real quick, I do want to point out, because we did kind of glaze over it, but uh, Big Country was in
0: Band-Aid, do, do They Know It's Christmas? That's true. And then on <laughs> the on the B side of that, I guess it was a cassette, they did like one of the spoken word messages to the world or whatever on there. All four of them did. That's awesome. So yeah, they're part of that Band-Aid, Do They Know It's Christmas song, which... I don't know. Do I like that song? My experience
1: with that song is that I think it's a fine song, but it's got really catchy parts in it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's got, it's got some melodies the guitar the guitar part towards the end is actually very big country as cuz it's that Yeah. true maybe that's what big country
0: did maybe they brought him in with their guitar thing to play that riff that's possible man it does you are right it does sound pretty big country and i've seen some major criticisms of that song and the sentiment behind it you know about a bunch of rock stars singing about feeding the world or whatever to sell a
1: record to raise money to feed the world instead of just
0: like I don't know donating some money yeah, to a country yeah. that could use it. Yeah, I don't know. I've seen several criticisms on it, but it, but it is it does sound like Christmas when you hear that song. Yeah. So Stuart Adamson, he had a he was known for disappearing. Yeah, and not being able to be found by people that were looking for him, and in 2000 they played. What would be their last show ever? And it was a sold out show in Glasgow. But at this time, Stuart was suffering from depression and he was an alcoholic. He had, you know, problems with alcohol. And then in 2001, he disappeared. The band put out something on their website saying they were looking for him. They hired private investigators to try to find him. At one point, he was in Atlanta. And then I saw what was described by alcoholics as being called a black haze where I guess a black haze is where you're kind of blacked out and you end up somewhere and you don't know how you got there. Yeah, And apparently that's what they think happened with Stuart Adamson because he ended up in Honolulu and he was staying at a best Western Plaza hotel in December, 2001 on this. He, he had there on the same day his wife filed for divorce. That's the same day he, disappeared but when they found him he was in honolulu and he had died by suicide by hanging himself with an electrical cord from a pole in the wardrobe and the coroner's report said that he had consumed a very strong amount of alcohol beforehand he was 43 years old yeah. which is pretty wild like you think i don't know i think about this song came out in the 80s and then you know, it's turn of the century into the 2000s. The dude's still only 43 years so old. Oh. I was
1: literally just thinking that in my head. I was trying to do the math. He must have been 18 or 19 writing in a big country.
0: He may have been, you know, really early 20s. Yeah, super but- early. But young, real,
1: like that. Because you also have to remember that he was in another band that had right. put out three records before. Right. That dude must have... I mean, I, I think that that's a sign of true talent, too, is like if we're assuming that his start in the music industry was... 17 years old mm-hmm. then that also kind of leads into the the thing i was saying about like that's probably all he's ever known so if it feels like Absolutely. the music industry has rejected him
0: right i mean that's that's I, that, a bad spot to be yeah i think i think you're definitely on to something there i mean it probably didn't help but the divorce it, i'm sure was was like a not a helpful piece to but his that mindset. may have been a pro that may have been a product of the same thing we're talking about yeah that, that you know just not being able to handle that i mean we're making some real assumptions here We're because, making it, but i mean there's there's not a lot unfortunately we can't ask him what right he was going through but right uh yeah. there you know there there are a lot of stories about this guy just being awesome uh there is a really good video of him that you can find i was as i was you know diving in there's a video of this. They're playing like this enormous show in New York City in 1986. And then in mid-song, he stops the song and walks off the stage down to the crowd to break up some violence that's going on. And then he gives the security guards a talking to. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it's really awesome considering how enormous this show was. This wasn't some show at like a punk club where yeah, like... This was like a, an arena essentially. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And he went down there and he basically told them like, yeah, we don't go for violence at our shows talking to the security about that. And I've unfortunately anybody, I don't, if you're a concert goer or playing in a band, definitely you've seen it where the security guards get on a power trip. Yeah. And
1: And it changes the mood of the show immediately after it happens every time.
0: Right. And of course there are situations where the security guards are helping people out by getting some drunk asshole out of the out of the crowd, who's being slamming into people and stuff, and of course that's a good situation. But sometimes I've seen the security guards be way too hard on kids just having fun. A kid, yeah, a kid. B- partying at a show you you can
1: you can tell the difference that's like the big thing like you can look i've been to enough shows where you can look into the crowd and tell when someone's having a good time and when someone's there yeah with the intention of causing trouble yeah so i think that someone whose full-time job is to be at shows watching for that stuff should know more than 23 year old matt
0: kelly throwing a show yeah i mean i don't demonize all security guards i mean there's been lots of nice ones and you know there are those ones that the kid is crowd surfing in the crowd and pulls him up and then he just like sends him on his way down the side of the stage back into the crowd and that's nice but then you see the ones who you know the meatheads who do you (laughs) know uh, the the same ones who are screaming at people after the show like get the fuck out of here all right you gotta go like come on you know people are just hanging out being calm and nice like why are you doing that so anyway the video was cool it was a cool video of Stuart Adamson and I had to write down this this quote about him from Stewart's funeral and said, he had a heart as big as a mountain and he was a real romantic soul. Adamson wrote the songs that you two wished they could write. And the edge said that at Stewart Adamson's That's funeral. That's amazing. Yeah. That's solid stuff. Yeah. The crossing, the album that in a big Country's on went on to sell 2 million copies. And in the meantime became, my favorite one-hit wonder ever.
1: There you go. That's the, I mean, and that is the most notable thing about In a Big Country.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's, now, I'm sure that's...
1: The- it's on the <laughs> wiki page already.
0: Host of One-Hit Thunder, Chris favorite one-hit wonder. Yeah. So, yeah. Dude, is there... I mean, we're 50 episodes in now on a podcast about one-hit wonders. I think it's a noteworthy note for Wikipedia that the host of One-Hit Thunder, a podcast specifically about one-hit wonders named in a big country by big country, the greatest one-hit wonder <laughs> ever. I think that's Wikipedia worthy, actually. I'll see if I can get that on there. Okay. All right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have to wait until this episode comes out because I think we need to have it as a reference point. Otherwise, they'll pull it within like the second right. that I click yeah, save. Yeah. But,
0: yeah. but after, after this episode airs, I think 50 episodes of a podcast about one-hit wonders makes us a legit source a legit authority i think so i mean at what point do we become that
1: i mean as if you're asking episodes. me i'd say by episode two but, yeah. <laughs> but i say no, at 50 50's
0: fair i think
1: 50 a good one because we've really done our research on 50 50 songs we did a deep dive on 51 hit wonders so far yeah and we're well, like p- probably like 48 we had like two random non song episodes but still it's enough <laughs> right we've i've ranked an entire list of 300, 300 plus songs. songs we ranked last week we ranked yeah the all every song that we've discussed so far so right and
0: if i were to add this song in there you know it's duncan Cheek's going down yep duncan Cheek bumps down <laughs> to number two after this one uh but that's okay i still love you duncan and shout out to nine days still love you <laughs> <laughs>
1: well chris it's been
0: a blast doing
1: 50 of these yeah man oh it, yeah it's kind of a bummer that like that we have to stop now no yeah it's over from this (laughs) point no like in i'm thinking about january of this of well at the time this comes out last year i went and saw punchline played delightfully pleased Mm -hmm. what was that brexit what was the name of that place rex rex we were at rex and i remember we looked at each other and we were talking and i said i think we could do a live show here for episode 50 And you
0: were like, absolutely. Well, that ain't happening. But maybe, fingers crossed, episode 100. Well, it's definitely not happening because through the pandemic, the Rex Theater is not closed. (laughs) Mm, I saw. Yeah, it's crazy how different things are from... So much hope. So much hope in us (laughs) leading
1: up to like... I think that was like a week before the first episode dropped. We were like, this is going to be
0: huge. But it's a perfect thing to do. I mean, thank goodness for podcasting, man. It kept me alive during this last year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a way to express yourself at a time where it's a lot harder you yeah. can't do it in a live setting unless it's some co- sort of weird situation but yeah man I- i'm glad we did it it was like uh it was like you came along and said hey this this crazy thing's about to happen in the world so maybe we should do this <laughs> <laughs> i knew yeah that's going to be the conspiracy theory. hashtag matt new <laughs> tell
1: me how you get to sleep at night sleep at night
0: tell me how you get to sleep
1: in one hit thunder. One hit thunder is hosted by Chrisophallos of the bands Punchline Pack and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing Tell Me How You Sleep off the Punchline album Thrilled. You can get that album and other merch at punchline.com. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at one hit thunderpodcast at gmail.com. And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. Tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder.
0: No ring upon my swollen hand
1: ooh, ooh. In the chapel you jumped on my shoulders Tackled me through the door to the sidewalk I looked up at the steeple behind you With my bad bell to to the blacktop Tell me how you get to sleep
0: at night Sleep at night You're listening to the Geekscape Network At LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.
1: Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Peck, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bay La Fleck, and more.